We have spent the last couple of weeks looking at John chapter 10, where Jesus proclaims that he is the good shepherd. We looked at how he is going back into the Old Testament and grabbing a hold of, of God's commands, particularly the words through the prophets, where he condemns the way the Jewish leadership had not kept the people tied into God's word, had not kept the people faithful to what God wanted them to be about, and so they were blind or misguided or unfaithful servant uh, shepherds. And Jesus steps in and says, I am the good shepherd. Everything that God wanted as far as a leader for his people, I am. That will be completed when he gives his life, when he lays his life down on the cross. He will have fulfilled everything that God wanted that good shepherd to be. He points us to two major ideas. That I know the Father and the Father knows me. Powerful comfort in that idea. That not only does Jesus know the Father and that you and I follow him in reaching to know the Father... But we are known by him. He is aware of who we are and what's going on in our lives. And that's a great blessing. But he also, and and I don't know that we always kind of connect this, but Jesus is listening to the Father and he is obeying everything that the Father commands. In this passage, again, the ultimate commandment as he sent Jesus to the earth. He said, you're going to live, and you're going to live in a way that shows people how to love God and love others. You're going to live in such a way as to show them what true, wise living's about. You're going to care for them and shepherd them as I has always wanted my people's leadership to be about. But you are going to move to the point where you're going to lay your life down. Jesus says, I heard what the Father commanded me, and I will obey. And he does obey. I don't know that any of us have had Satan work so hard to keep us from obeying as Satan worked to keep Jesus from fulfilling what God had told him to do, is lay his life down on the cross. When we read the account of the Passion, I think we're reading at some level all the effort that Satan went to to say, you can't make it, you can't do it, God won't be faithful to you, God won't see you through this, and yet God sees him through it all, and most importantly... Even after all that suffering, God is faithful to his word to raise him up from the dead. Amen? Jesus hears the Father and he obeys the Father's commands. So we want to be people, particularly as we think about the ways that we can step forward as leaders in our lives. We want to be people who, just like Jesus, show the fruit of intimately knowing and attentively following. Jesus, as the revelation, the full revelation of the Father, Jesus, the chief shepherd. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd, and I know the Father, and I follow the Father. And we are called to be people who intimately know Jesus and attentively follow Jesus, who is the chief shepherd. It is the basic requirement of what we would be about if we are to step into any kind of leadership role. Again, it's... I've I've emphasized this in every lesson. It's important for you to think about the ways in which you have the opportunity to lead. How are you leading others? And as you lead others, it needs to be your thought, your heart, your motive to say, because I know and follow Jesus, I am, let's just pick a few, I am a parent or a potential prospective parent. Because the way I parent is reflected by the way I know and follow Jesus. 
If I'm a student in school and I have the opportunity to be the best kind of student that I can be and that I have the opportunity to show others how to be a student who honors God, I need to know and follow Jesus and that my being a student is filled by that. I'm not there yet. Maybe 10 years, I'm not sure exactly the number. I'm going to retire someday. And I'm looking forward to a slightly different lifestyle at that point. And yet at the same time, what I know is I'm going to have the opportunity to lead in that next stage of life. And I want my leadership to be informed because I know and I follow Jesus. Parents, husbands, wives, are you a manager where you work? In the way that you manage, or whether it's at work or in some sort of, of civic Uh, organization that you're a part of do you have the opportunity for people to say wow the way he leads the way she leads is informed by knowing and following Jesus it's very different and it's not just different because of the the things that come out of what you do while you're doing it but the the way you do them not just that I lead but the way I lead And it's not just the actions on the outside, but those actions are informed by a heart that is filled up with the Holy Spirit and is wanting to know and follow Jesus. But there is a difference that we have to recognize. All of us have a way that we are leading by example. We all have that opportunity in every single role in our life. But not all of us have come to a place in our life, I do believe, that you'll have an opportunity at some point, or at least most of us will have an opportunity to become someone who steps in not just to leading by example, but decision-making leadership. This is, of course, the great challenge when we step into being a new parent. Because we've been making decisions for ourselves, but now we're about to step into making decisions for a child. A child whose life is going to be impacted by how well we are informed as a leader. But again, many ways you will grow into other ways that you are making decisions for others. A classroom teacher, such a powerful example of someone who is going to be a decision-making leader. He or she is going to lead in such a way in that classroom that other people are going to be impacted by the decisions that they make. Again, corporate life, civic organizations, and yes, right here in a congregation, we have people that we depend on to make decisions that move from simply being leaders as examples in their various roles of life to being leaders who make decisions that impact others and where the whole group is going. And that leadership needs to be informed by knowing and following Jesus as much as every single other one. And I want to propose that one of the primary, if not the primary thing that separates leading by example from decision-making leadership is the idea of vision. The idea and the practice and the gift of seeing and discerning in a way that is with the eyes that God gives, not the eyes of the world, and the ears to hear what God says. 1 Kings chapter 3 is a great story, and we kind of refer to it back to it 
often when we talk about Solomon. It is maybe the apex of his whole time as a king. You could say the building of the temple was. But uh, largely, I would say that if you were talking about Solomon, who led the way God wanted him to lead, this is maybe the apex of that process. It starts in this way. At Gibeon, the Lord appeared to Solomon during the night in a dream. And God said, ask for whatever you want to give me. Solomon answered, you have shown great kindness to your servant, my father David, because he was faithful to you and righteous and upright in heart. You have continued this great kindness to him and have given him a son to sit on his throne this very day. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant, and he's talking about himself, your servant king in place of my father David. But I am only a little child and do not know how to carry out my duties. Your servant is here among the people you have chosen, a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant, give me, Solomon, a discerning heart to govern, govern your people. Other translations will say, give your servant wisdom to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able of their own ability to govern this great people of yours. The Lord was pleased. I, I, want, I want this to be written about me someday, about something I do, that the Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this. I want that to be written about me, that God was pleased to what Alan asked for. I don't know what that'll be. I've asked for wisdom and discernment, and I hope he's pleased with that, but there are lots of things that... I want God to be pleased with. Don't you? I want that to be said of me. Powerful scripture, and it's said in a really unusual place. Because while we see it as the height of, of the good rule of Solomon, it is also in a context that Solomon is still uh, worshiping God up on the high places, which is in, typically in kings is kind of associated with not worshiping God the way he wanted to be worshiped. It might well be that it, it could be seen as kind of a substitute until the temple gets built. But if you were doing that, you'd go to the tabernacle and silo. So I, I'm not sure everything that's involved in it, but at least part of it is Solomon hasn't got it all right yet. And by the way, before Solomon's life is done, we're going to know that Solomon's going to get most things wrong before he's done. We move in Solomon's literature. We're going to read from the book of Proverbs in just a minute. We move from the Proverbs and the, the beautiful language of Proverbs. You, you follow the Lord and the, the Lord will bless you to the writings of Solomon that probably don't get published till much later called the book of Ecclesiastes in which he wonders and, and, and meanders around ideas not sure of all that can take place. And in fact, not sure that God's really making a difference on the earth. Life under the sun. The context of chapter 3 is Solomon starting his, king's, his life as a king. And to a certain extent, kind of following the, along with the gang, as it were. They're all worshiping up on the high places. I think that's where I'll go and worship. And then God appears to him. And it's interesting that God would choose to go to Gibeon, one of the high places. A place where we might say Solomon's not doing everything that God wanted him to do. And it is at that place that God says, 
I'm ready to give you whatever you want. Now, God says, I'm glad that you asked for discerning wisdom, the ability to govern well, the ability to determine what just ruling is for my people. And he says, and because that's what you asked for, I'm also going to give you long life and great influence. But what Solomon asked for seems to bring a bit of a change. You can't necessarily say that he instantly tore down all the high places. Not, that's not the language that's there. But it does seem to change how he approaches the Lord. And so his wisdom isn't just about being smarter. His wisdom isn't just about being able to do what is almost the very next story, which is the, the two women that bring the baby and say, this is my baby, no, this is my baby, and, and he just demonstrates his wisdom by pulling out his sword and takes it to cut the baby in half. And, of course, the true mother of the baby says, no, 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 no. I'll be guide for her to keep her as long as he stays alive, right? This is how this is manifest. But even more than that, Solomon's life takes a step in the direction of living in a way that is more pleasing to God when he asks for discernment and God grants that discernment. I said we'd come back to the book of Proverbs. The book of Proverbs is attributed to Solomon the same way that so many of the Psalms are attributed to David. They are a text that would have been used by young Jewish, uh, particularly Jewish boys who would have been the ones who would have been working on being literate. And they provide a text for learning what wisdom is, almost like a reading primer that you have in first and second grade. Proverbs provide some of that, which is why some of the language is very simple, but some of the language is something that you don't grasp, but with a lifetime of kind of, of meditating on those words and repeating them. The first chapters of Proverbs open with these, this invitation to wisdom, this invitation for your life to be different. And I have chosen these verses from chapter 2. My son, if you accept my words and store up my commands within you, turning your ear to wisdom and applying your heart to understanding, if indeed you call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, if you look for it, as silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. Then you will understand the fear of the Lord. You will understand what it is to hold the Lord in awe. You will understand what it is for the knowledge of God to fill every single thing that you do. Because if you search for it, if you long for it, if you make it your greatest priority, the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. Discernment, understanding, wisdom. Three incredible words about seeing things the way that God sees them. About having an ear that's tuned to the voice of God. Three words that kind of take us from simply being an example and steps into the idea of we are going to start making decisions for uh, to lead groups of people in a direction that will please God. Whether that's you get nominated to be a captain on a softball team, whether that's you get to be uh, the person in the National Honor Society who's an officer, 
whether that's you get to be one of those teachers who leads a classroom full of children, whether that's you're put in charge of a division of a company, or whether that's just that you decide with another person, male and female, to become a family, and the two of you start needing discernment, understanding, and wisdom to lead your family as a couple, but maybe even more profoundly, when you step into that role as a parent. Because a marriage is between two people, two individuals, who are expected to be able to stand on their own two feet. Somebody say amen. But when I start raising children, those children don't even, they have physical feet, but they aren't able to stand on them. And it is what that I do as a parent in discerning and understanding and wisdom, particularly discerning the word of God, particularly understanding the voice of God, and living in a way that reflects a fear of the Lord and an understanding of his knowledge that changes the way I live and I point others toward, not simply with the example that I lead, but by setting up paradigms for them to follow in and say, that's the way that we're going. Notice that it is both a gift. Solomon asked for the gift of discernment, a wise heart, the gift of understanding. But it is also something that God is ready to freely give for those who seek him. It is a gift that he says, if you will tune your heart to me, if you will point your eyes in my direction and not lose focus. We sang Oceans as the service began today. And that story is, it, that song comes from the story of Peter being, being out in the storm. And Jesus says, he says, Let, tell me to walk on the water. And he steps out on the water. But the text is real specific. But he quit looking at Jesus and he started looking at the winds and the waves. We want to have eyes that see God. We want to have ears that hear God. Did you hear the passage that Garrett read? Jesus said, I spoke in parables because this people are a people who have eyes but they don't see. They have ears but they don't hear. Jesus will repeat that sometimes when he's going to say something that's really important. He who has ears, let him hear. Are our ears tuned? to the wavelength of God? Is our heart humble enough? Is our heart humble enough to not just fill our ears with the things that make us feel good about ourselves or just to listen to the things that sound like great popular ideas, but instead our hearts are humble enough to hear the voice of God, particularly when the voice of God confronts the values that our world lives by, the attitudes that are so prevalent in our society, the idea that I am more important than the we, the idea that having the right stuff is more important than having the right heart. Those are contradictory. And if our ears are not tuned and open, then we won't hear what God has to say. But for those who open their hearts in humility to God's word, for those who spend and invest the time in prayer, 
Not just in a prayer that says, okay, I've got a list of all the sick people at church and I need to pray for all them. Okay, I've got a list of all my children and I need to pray for all them. Pray for the unborn ones that aren't yet with us. Okay, I've got a list of the things that I need. I need a promotion at work and I need a better this and a better that and a better thing and I'm going to hold all those things up to God. Thank you. Amen. Where does the Spirit lead our prayer life to be? The Spirit leads our prayer life not to simply be, by the way, that doesn't mean that we don't approach God with the things that we see others needing. And by the way, particularly that we see others needing as opposed to ourselves needing. That we approach God and when we pray for our children, we don't just pray that everything goes great for them, but instead we pray that they will be faithful through everything that they'll be confronted with. But maybe mostly what the Spirit does is it leads us to a place in our prayer life where we're listening to God. That may be in stillness. That may be in coming back to His Word. I, I, would, I would recommend that it's never a good practice to open the Word of God without praying, Lord, speak to me through your word. Lord, I invite your spirit to speak to me through your word. You see, being a discerning person, yearning for what God wants, is going to mean that our prayer life turns into not only a telling God, and absolutely, the beauty of thanking God for, thanking God for all he's done, but it also becomes a life of listening. What is God saying? How do I hear his voice? How do I discern the things that please God? And how do I live in a way that shows the wisdom of having heard and seen him and wanting to follow him? What are the fruits of spirit-filled vision? What are the fruits of spirit-filled discernment, understanding and wisdom first of all and we've been hitting at this all along but I, I want to mention it again that we are people who see and notice that which God and Jesus give attention to it's always interesting to me who Jesus sees in a crowd right Jesus is the one who noticed the woman who went up to the treasury at the temple and put her two mites in. Not exactly how he knew exactly how much he, she was putting in, but he noticed. And he pointed his disciples, don't just see those who blow trumpets and put in their, you know, make sure that their bag is full of small coins so it's heavy and it makes a lot of noise when it goes in there. Look at this woman. Jesus sees things that others don't notice. And we're going to be called on, if we're going to lead in a way that reflects God's wisdom, to ask God to help us see things the way that he does. And to be attentive to the things that he's attentive to. It's always interesting how the hardest thing to do is to tell the story of the difficult things in our church the difficult things in our society, the difficult things in our lives. 
And I would say the wisest people are the people who are willing to see those things and be honest with those things and be humble about those things and to bring them up and say, we've got to change those things. Seeing and noticing that which God and Jesus give attention to. Number two, that our discernment moves from the temporary to the eternal. That our discernment moves from decisions that are just good for today to decisions that are good, of course, decisions that are good for the long run, one year, five years, ten years, but decisions that may be very contrary to what's easy today that produces an eternal consequence, an eternal positive consequence. Again, a parent who has to say to a child over and over and over again, no, we're not having that much candy, is not making a decision that makes today easier. Nobody's going to say amen to that. Or a parent of a teenager who says, no, I know all your friends are watching that movie or that TV series, but that's not what we're going to do in our family. And that's not a decision that makes today easier. Still no amens, interesting. Instead, that's a decision that makes the long run move towards the eternal goals that God wants us to achieve. We don't discern decisions just for the temporary. We discern for decisions that point us to the eternal. I want to add one more thought here. And that is to say that leaders who are filled with God's wisdom have the ability to work towards not just understanding what the difference between good and bad is. Sometimes I would say that that's relatively easy. Not always, but that's relatively easy. The question is whether our understanding and wisdom will help lead us to a place where we say, okay, I understand that's good, but I want us to move on to what is better and the best. And that's not always an easy thing to do. And that is something that we must rely on God to grant us insight into. But I think it's a goal that we need to point to if we're going to move from just being a leader by example to a leader who is making decisions for others. Finally, third, that, you're, that the fruits of spirit-filled vision is the ability to inf- differentiate between spiritual and worldly wisdom. Now, make no mistakes. Culture is something that's almost like the air we breathe. It's the water we drink. And so it just is around us absolutely all the time. So it become, can become very easy to equate the things that we think about and the things that we see, the wisdom that we participate in, Because it just is so wrapped up in the air we breathe and the water we drink of our culture, we don't recognize that that really what that is is the world selling us its bill of goods. 
when they came to Jesus and tried to make him king, you could say, well, isn't that the point? We want Jesus to be king? But he said, that's the way the world wants to see being a king. I'm going to be a king by having a crown of thorns, by my back not being covered in a purple robe, but covered in the purple of my blood. I'm going to be a king because they hang me on a tree and I lay my life down. That was so misunderstood that one of his disciples, who had been with him for three years, when he heard him repeat that statement one too many times, he said, I've got to straighten this guy out. I need to take him to the Jewish leaders so they can really help him be the leader that he needs to be. Surely this will wake him up. You know, his name is Judas, who was acting, at least in part, on something that made sense by this world's wisdom, but was completely antithetical to the wisdom that God was revealing through Jesus Christ. I find the way that Paul summarizes these ideas in 1 Corinthians, in reality, 1 and 2 Corinthians is full of this kind of language. Clearly, wisdom was very important to the Corinthian people, being, being smarter than the next guy, being more impressive intellectually than the next guy was something that was important to them because Paul in both letters will write against that, but I summarize with these words. For Christ did not send me to baptize, or to, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom, that you would say wisdom, and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, the intelligence of the intellect, of the intelligence I will frustrate. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. Jews demand a sign. Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God, summarizes it with this statement, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom, and even the weakness of God is stronger than any human strength. Do our decisions make others ask, what's different about us? Not that we're smarter or more shrewd. Oh, look how clever he is. Instead, do they see something and maybe even they use the word, wow, that's wise. Particularly, do we see things with the eyes of the Spirit and our ears tuned to the voice of God? This is true in every single life. And I don't want to say it's more important, but for us at this moment, it is about the process of identifying, discerning and identifying men who will lead us as elders by shepherding us. 
Do we recognize the wisdom of God in these moments? Are you ready to make the fear of the Lord the beginning of your life? This kind of comes up over and over again in Proverbs. The beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. And I would say that we can't move on to living the way God wants us to until we develop a reverence and an awe for who God is and what he wants us to be about. Amen? And so the invitation today is are you ready to begin and to step into that, I hold the law, the Lord, at the highest place. There's nothing I'm more concerned about than him. There's nothing that I hold higher than him. There's nothing that I fear more than the Lord. You can come forward today if you would like us to to pray about that with you or in some way help you. You can have a conversation with someone who's nearby. You can send us a text if you're online with us, and we would be glad to continue that conversation forward. But I challenge you, have you begun with the fear of the Lord? Won't we stand and sing? Open our eyes.